12. Thank you. 12 is bid. I have 12. Go 13. Who'll say 13? $13. <laughs> you mean 1300 sir. No, no, no. I mean $13. That's more than it's worth. What is up, everybody? My name is Jake, and this is another episode of the Rotten Potatoes Podcast, a, por- a podcast where four friends sit down and review movies you absolutely should have seen, but at least one of us hasn't. I'm here with three of my friends. I'm Zach. I'm, I'm Tyler. Scott. <laughs> All right. And uh, we're here, Jake. What what movie are we talking about? Yeah, I don't know that it's immediately clear that we're watching North by Northwest. Well, this didn't have any like Casablanca type lines like you know, uh, here's looking at you, kid, or any lethal weapon lines like, but sir, you're black. Yeah. So if we could, if we could just get you guys to go ahead and look at a picture of Mount Rushmore or uh, a, a picture of Carragher <laughs> running away from a crop duster. <laughs> Uh, then when you nailed it, like that's the iconic stuff, right? Well, we did search in order to find that audio clip, most iconic scenes and all of the most iconic scenes out of this movie had no dialogue in them. So, you know, that was, it was problematic. Yeah. Problematic for, for our medium for us. Yeah. However, it is on par with a lot of Jake's movies. (laughs) Not a lot of dialogue. dialogue. Well, you know, that not just Jake's, not just Jake's. depends on uh, the movie. I think you're just thinking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I, think I don't so think I have any other movies that are like well silent, uh, not silent, but you know, I mean, Spirited Away had way more uh, uh, than <laughs> well, actual dialogue. I think that that's required in anime. And just, uh, <laughs> I dare say, too many pig parents. <laughs> too too many. Too, well, too many at least parents, one too yeah. many. I I won't say too too many. We are talking about North by Northwest. Uh, Jake, why did you nominate this movie? I mean, I I had seen this actually for the first time just a few years ago, and I really mm-hmm. liked it. But I'm, I'm a big Hitchcock fan. I think he is like, I don't think about it that much, but uh, he probably is up there with my favorite directors. Like, I love Hitchcock movies. Uh, I think this movie is super iconic. Like, as far as like his two most acclaimed movies, it's either this or it's Vertigo. Uh, and I, I think I still like Vertigo better. Interesting, uh, not Psycho? I think Psycho is probably the most famous, but like looking back, what people would say are his masterpieces. Mm. It's those two from what I've read. Uh, and I, I think it's iconic and in uh, in its own right, but I, it was influential. Apparently it influenced James Bond movies a lot. So I don't know. I think it's definitely worth watching. And I, I do love a good Hitchcock movie. What other directors do you like? You said Hitchcock well, is one of your favorites. So like, I remember like talking on the podcast and I think about like, when we talk about my, our favorite directors, I think about like, Oh, like uh, Quentin Tarantino or the Coens or Christopher Nolan. Roland and I, Emmerich. I don't ever throw. <laughs> yeah. Roland Emmerich is obviously number one. That doesn't have to be said, uh, but, and I, so like, I, I, I don't think I think Hitchcock and it's probably recency bias more than anything, honestly, but like, I do love a lot of Hitchcock movies and like, if there is a director up like up with those people where it's like, Oh, Hitchcock directed this movie. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, and I, I think that he's like a great storyteller, even though like, I know he adapts a lot of uh, books and stuff, but I, I think he has an eye for what is a great story and then brings it out in like, a, yeah. So uh, I was a late bloomer. Scott, had you seen this movie before? No, I was late. Uh, Zach, had you seen this movie before? No. Wow. So, uh, three late bloomers to this one and, uh, let's, uh, before we get into any of those opinions, let's jump into a little bit of just the facts. Yes. So this was, uh, as we said, directed by, uh, Hitchcock. It was written by Ernest Lehman 
It released on July 1st, 1959 and had a runtime of 136 minutes. The other guys gave this a 97%. IMDb gave it an 8.3. It did lose money in the box office. It only uh, made about a quarter million dollars and it spent three. Um, it didn't win any awards, but it was nominated for best writing, best art direct and set direct uh, decoration and then best film editing. I think it's really crazy. Like, that in retrospect, what are viewed as Hitchcock's best movies are his probably his two biggest flops financially at the time. Like, like right. he, mm-hmm. people didn't want to watch him at the time. And then after the fact, everyone was like, oh, this is amazing. Well, it's kind of interesting because this budget was actually originally agreed to uh, by MGM at $2 million. It went 50% over budget. That's pretty oh, crazy. Wow. And then they lost money. And then they lost money. On, <laughs> I wonder, which, is, which is really insane. Yeah. I wonder how much of that money was spent planting 100 Ponderosa Pines on an MGM sound studio, which is what Hitchcock decided to do. Right. Instead of filming in South Dakota. That's insane. Yeah. Well, and what's insane about that, at least to me, uh, we'll, we'll jump into impressions, but I want to respond to that because, yeah, that's insane. But what's crazy to me is they spent so much time uh, in this movie out of a studio like Uh they spent a lot of time in new york ultimately even illegally going on to the un's into the un's building like cary grant walking into the un building was shot illegally from across the street by hitchcock out of the back of a delivery truck which i think is so crazy like just to think about how much the world has changed like if you did that now you'd be in jail for the rest of your life Sure. Like you just like are illegally doing something with cameras around the UN building. That's it. Oh yeah. And then he put it in a movie. Yeah. (laughs) And we're all like best movie ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's art. It's art. Dang it. Um, so, uh, I'm going to save myself for last for us since we've documented, uh, already that I have the most recency bias. So who wants to between Scott and Zach go for it. Love you. You want me to open it? Yeah. Um, I thought it was overall good. Um, I thought it was uh, a fun like plot, fun ideas. I see how it d- could inspire a lot of things. I do felt like it was way too long. It dragged out a lot for me. Like I felt like you could have taken a half hour out of it, and it would have like played better with me. Um, but that's honestly one of the only like negative things I really have for it is just how long it felt. So you would have agreed with the studio when the studio told Alfred Hitchcock, Hey, we need you to cut 15 minutes of the movie. And he said, best I can do is five seconds. Uh, yes. I, I would have doubled what the, the studio said, to wow. cut. <laughs> which is, yeah. So apparently he cut only eight feet of film, which apparently is about five seconds. The studio said, we need you to cut. 15 minutes and then he looked he reviewed his contract said i have complete control over the final cut and i'm not doing that (laughs) which i think is a pretty baller move i also saw footage of uh of hitchcock taking the like canister of film like the finished product off a plane putting it on a brinks truck to take it to the premiere so he was very wow very protective he did that himself he did that himself personally yeah, personally hand delivered to a Brinks truck. Wow, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. He's he's like historically very protective over his movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I did, didn't we talk about what he did with Psycho? Like where he he had like a bunch of like don't spoil Psycho. Like he took out radio. Oh yeah, like radio time to be like, hey, don't spoil this movie for other uh, viewers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No spoiler. The first no spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, what do you think? 
Um, I I liked this movie quite a bit. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. It is by far my favorite Hitchcock. I mean, I've only seen uh, the only Hitchcock movies I've seen are the ones we've done for this podcast. So I liked this quite a bit more than Vertigo and Psycho. Um, I don't know if I would agree that it felt too long. Um, Scott, I actually think that this was really well paced. I never really was bored with this movie. I think I was pretty engaged with it from beginning to end. Um, and I, I thought that it was just really fun, really smart, uh, for an older movie. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it all around. I mean, it's no CK. It's no lethal weapon too. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this might be the first movie that, uh, you've picked this season that I liked Jake. So is that true? It might be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're only halfway through the season. That's a lot. Halfway is a lot. Uh, I think I did. Well, Scott looks at our as our a review. Ratings. We have the Goonies. You yeah. loved the Goodfellas. The Goodfellas. Oh, that's right. Okay, I did yeah. like Goodfellas. Yeah. Talladega Nights. Loved Seven Zach. Psychopaths. You didn't like Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. Usual Suspects. Okay, yeah. Well, this yeah, is the you, second you movie. You picked some a lot of misses for in my book. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, I'm glad you like this, which is on brand for our relationship in, yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. But I liked this movie a lot. I think I agree with pretty much everything you said. Like when when Scott said he thought it felt long, I wasn't gonna like like fight in on it because I didn't know like because it just it doesn't bother me like the slow but I didn't think it was that slow honestly I don't think it's that slow I like I, I didn't think it was slow I, I don't when you said I would have cut 15 minutes out I don't know what 15 minutes you would have cut you know uh, so yeah I, don't know. I feel like I could do it what like give me an example like give, <laughs> give me some time 15 minutes is a lot uh I, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't. Actually, I, you said 30. You said 30. Yeah, minutes. yeah, that's a lot. Because, yeah, if you cut 30 minutes out of this movie, like, you're cutting a lot of plot out. Yeah. Like, I feel like that changes the movie. I mean, you could edit down definitely the um, the plane scene where he's out in the field. <laughs> but only then, by a couple of minutes, I guess, at that. Okay, but that's a few minutes. The plane scene, like the one of the most famous <laughs> scenes in any movie of all time. Tyler, I feel like we should get to Tyler's take because yeah. he is cr- visibly cringing. Yeah, let's let Tyler talk. Yeah. I uh, absolutely love this movie. I'm glad to hear it. I thought that this was pretty damn near perfect uh, in every sense. Uh, that plane scene in the, uh, in the cornfield in that they filmed in like Bakersfield or something like that was uh, one of the most fun, cool scenes I think I've ever seen, especially like getting to learn a little bit, like how they pulled that off. Uh, Like they had uh, Hitchcock shot Cary Grant jumping into a ditch on a soundstage after he had shot footage of the plane swooping the camera so as to like uh-huh. avoid like hurting Cary Grant. And then just projected that on a movie screen behind Cary Grant in a ditch and just capturing it that way. But it looked so good. Like I thought sure. the effects and the effects of everything on Rushmore. It was like this movie was ahead of its time in so many ways. Uh, I would not cut a single second out of that airplane scene. That was that was what Zach wanted to call my attention to. Uh, when Scott said that he would cut that down a little bit, I thought that was magnetic. I thought it was incredible. And it obviously set up like, I think Jake had mentioned that it set up that air airplane sequence. It set up, um, uh, not too long after, 
uh, a scene in a James Bond movie because a lot of people have, have referred to North by Northwest as the James Bond that never was. Um, and, and it preceded James Bond and, and it set up that shot like perfectly. Although I think even what James Bond did later, years later was less than, uh, that plane sequence. And it just made me feel like in that moment, uh, I was like, Oh, this is where all of my Tom Cruise movies have come from. This is where all of my Mel Gibson movies have come from. This is where all of my Liam Neeson movies have come from is it, from this scene. Do you know what I think is even, I think a little bit more impressive about that scene is that if you were to pitch this movie and say like, okay, it's about this New York advertising man who gets mistaken for a spy. And then also he goes into a cornfield and gets chased down by a plane. You'd think, Oh, they really shoehorn that in there. But I didn't, feel that in any way I agree uh in the movie I agree you know I felt like it was it was written perfectly in there the the oh my gosh the scene like literally reading leading up to that where he first arrives there and then he gets like blown by dust by a passing car and then he sees this you know from a a rural road a car approaching in the suspense of this is going to be the guy he's there to meet and then the guy gets out and the shot of the two of them on either side of the road, it felt like something that came out of a movie that came out this year to me. Uh Like it was, it was, I could absolutely see that shot not changed in any way come out in a movie today. Uh, Like from Paul Thomas Anderson or from the Coen brothers or from, you know, uh, Chris Nolan and us being like, Oh yeah, no, that's that. That's an incredibly well-framed, well-thought-out scene and sequence i'm pretty stoked this isn't happening very much <laughs> it feels good doesn't it yeah no it feels great <laughs> i'm ask. just gonna start picking movies that i don't even really like that i know you guys will <laughs> it's like a drug <laughs> jake this is what i felt all of season one yeah no that makes sense <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna need to start chasing this dragon <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like this script was really, really smart and really clever too. Um, I, I feel like this movie caught me off guard like five different times. Uh-huh. Like cool. when, I, what when, times? like when I was just about to say, like when they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it caught me off guard. Like when, like when, when, what, 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 what? <laughs> tell me right now when this caught you off guard, Zachary, <laughs> Uh, like when we find out that, is it Kaplan, right? That's yeah, George uh, Kaplan. Yeah. Like when we find out that George Kaplan is actually just a decoy, um, uh-huh. and not a real agent. Um, when, uh, what's the girl's name? Oh, Eve Kendall. Eve. Yeah. There's like two different twists with her. Um, like when we find out that she's actually the real agent that mm-hmm. caught me off guard. Oh, I saw that as soon as the movie started, like as soon as she was introduced, as soon as the movie started before she was even on screen. Yeah. Before, before they even tried to make us think that she was bad. Uh huh. You knew that she was still good. I literally was watching it with Carla and I said, oh, she's, uh, definitely either working for the bad guy or is a double agent working for both. Okay. I didn't. Uh, so that caught me off guard um, when they were in the cabin. Like, I remember thinking, like, how are the like, how are they going to get out of this? And then when it turns out that, like, the maid or whatever just picked up the gun with the blanks, I was like, that was super clever. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know how the main character, I don't remember his name either. Uh, Thornhill. Roger. Yeah, Thornhill. Went, like, I didn't know how he was going to get out of that situation. Like, I, I it, the, this movie kept me guessing pretty much the entire time. Like, the, the first time I watched the the movie I had completely forgotten even that that was the gun with the blanks uh, and then like the shots go off and I was like oh my 
did he get shot off screen? <laughs> right. yeah. 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 And then he comes out and I was like, oh, that gun was full of blanks. No way. That's right. So like, I, I feel you. Yeah. So kind of funny. Uh, uh, by the way, in the future, you can always tell listeners, you can always tell them in a love a movie if like early on, I'm coming up with facts and it's not the movie I nominated. It means <laughs> that I was, loved I, it so much that I did a lot of work. I after. had a good feeling when I was like reading off some trivia and I was like, and also this, and I was like, okay, <laughs> Tyler took an interest. <laughs> I, I don't did. even take interest in my movies. I know we all know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the tots know. <laughs> I hope so. I'm getting the highest ratings out of everyone. It's so. true. <laughs> it's true. true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Oh, I forgot where I was going with that. I got derailed. You could always tell when you're when you like a movie, like a movie because you're yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that was a the, oh, that was a was tangent something from something with the else. Blanks or the maid or or the cabin. The uh, gun. No, no. I'll, I'll just go or to say plane. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just go to say it was you know this movie absolutely kept me guessing constantly as well. I agree with you, Zach. And I think one of the things that that I loved so much about this is as I'm watching it, I'm I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like that's where this newer project came from. Like uh, when uh, he when we're first discovering this whole like, you know, uh, Thornhill, uh, like I'm not Kaplan kind of thing. And then he's in the car and and the the driving drunk sequence, but he's kind of surviving. I uh, it occurred to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just Jason Bourne if Jason Bourne wasn't actually a secret agent. Yeah, I guess I can see what you mean. And then they like followed every trope and it made it so clear to me that all those years later, Robert Ludlum, who wrote the story, I think, and then Steven uh Soderbergh, who made the original movie, I think. Uh, Paul, Paul Greengrass, I think. Oh, Paul Greengrass, you're right. Paul Greengrass. We're like, oh yeah, let's just do North by Northwest, but with a with a badass. Yeah, I I think um, it's funny, like because watching the movie the first time, I was like, oh, like Cary Grant, like pretty much crushed it, and I didn't even know if he did crush it, like because I was reading and. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, apparently, like he was talking to Alfred Hitchcock and he said, I don't understand the script at all. I can't make heads nor tails of it. <laughs> and then Alfred Hitchcock was just like, good. Like, <laughs> that's just going to make this go better. Because he was just like, he needed to be confused. So I don't even know if it was good acting or if it was just the the perfect storm. Yeah. You know? The other thing that I told Zach this earlier today that I was like, oh my gosh, like, I still love the movie, but it makes it a lot less original to me was watching this. I was like, Oh my gosh, the Coen brothers just ripped this off for uh burn without reading. Like yeah. when they're first in the like undisclosed, like undisclosed government facility, like clearly the CIA and they're talking about this, like, funny turn of events and and the professor's like i don't know i think this kind of worked out better for us like sorry random thornhill guy it was like that is exactly the entire plot of burn after reading it and it kind of like i was watching it this time and i was kind of thinking like oh i can even see where like because i like this particular genre where like some guy that does not know what's going on is thrown in the middle of a case sure and it kind of feels like oh like I can see how this even played into the big Lebowski or yeah. like a movie like the nice guys. Yeah. Where it's just like some idiot guy who's just bumbling his way through this like complicated uh, conspiracy. Then he just like happens to go through it. And I, I could see all that as well. Yeah. I, I, I saw so many people pull on this, draw on this. So like to our, like joking around last episode about uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Like this was very obviously like that much of a classic to uh -huh. so many filmmakers who came after. 
Um, one thing that I, I really enjoyed about this movie and appreciated was um, we've already kind of talked about how in some ways this movie kind of set the stage for later action movies and later spy movies. And I feel like a lot of movies nowadays have the tendency to just go bigger and bigger and bigger. Like let's add more explosions. Let's add more gunfights. Let's add more this and that and just make it big and big to the point where like it can be a little ridiculous and over the top. And I felt like this movie um, chose really smart, creative, but like somewhat subdued ways for our I'm sorry, for our protagonists to get out of pickles. Um, like rather than like in the auction scene, rather than him grab a gun and like, you know, like start a gunfight, like he joins the auction and he just becomes obnoxious to the point where like the auctioneers like to kick him out. Call like, in th- the police like yeah, to exactly. save him essentially. Yeah. I thought that that was really creative. I also thought that getting him drunk and then forcing him to drive was super creative too. I feel like in a lot of movies, our bad guy is just going to kill them and then fake whatever, like fake a, a crime scene or something like that. But like just to like literally force him to drink a bottle of bourbon and like make him create his own crime scene, I thought was super interesting and creative. And I liked that a lot. Can I say though, I think the thing that aged the most poorly in this movie was afterwards when, when he he's was, driving. No, not when he's driving, but when, when his mom said, pay the $2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Yes. That was it. He would only have to pay $2. <laughs> I had to literally pause the movie because I didn't want to miss anything else, but I had to understand what the inflation was on that and it was like twenty dollars yeah in today's <laughs> money and i'm like i don't understand that at all like, like, yeah that's pretty nice it's so much he was so drunk yeah. <laughs> yeah. endangered so many lives hit a boat like that was assault and battery on a cop yeah. like, like <laughs> also another scene i didn't see i i failed to say this earlier the scene when um when eve shoots him Mm. like that caught me off guard too i'm like did he just die i I know there's like 30 minutes left of this movie and i thought to myself like this is going in a very interesting direction if thornhill or whatever just died the first time i watched the movie i had to pause it and i was like oh my gosh there's so much left yeah i i know he can't be dead but i think he died you know yeah so i get you yeah so i was by that point paying so what I had, when you it just, happened, did you see all this coming? When it when it happened, I literally said, uh, it's probably blanks." <laughs> had you ac- had you actually seen this movie before I and blacked it out? I like that's that's impressive, but also just sounds like a, a much less fun uh, watch. It's a, it's for a you. miserable yeah. life well, to lead, this well, Scott. <laughs> well, that's where I'm like, like I said, like I don't really have anything negative to say other than it just felt long for me. But it's because like it felt predictable to me. Interesting. Like, I wasn't on the edge of my seat like you guys were. I do think it was still really good in a lot of ways. Okay. And I think the cinematography was really be, like way beyond its years in a lot of ways. But well, for me, it just wasn't as like exciting or like twists or any of that kind of stuff. I was just kind of like sure. on a, like the, a mild journey. The plot wasn't there for yeah. you. Interesting. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like what Alfred Hitchcock does really well in his movies is like just getting you to buy in what he wants you to buy into. If that makes sense. We're like, you like worry like you don't see the twist coming because you're just so bought into whatever misdirect or whatever he's thrown your way that you get. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm going to oh. yes. And you by, by having a little quiz here. Uh, what were the bad guys after it's, I don't think they ever really even talk about it. Like he's trying to get away. He was doing something for the Russians. Wasn't he? We have no clue. Yeah. But they don't really say. 
just something with that stupid doll. In fact, you remember the scene where it finally gets explained to him. There's a there's a plane over the whole noise of oh yeah, the yeah. professor explaining to Thornhill what's actually happening. I liked yeah. that too. And like I, we yeah. have no clue what the bad guys are after, just like Thornhill. But like to your point, Jake, yes, and like Hitchcock is so good at making you buy into the things that he wants you to buy into that you don't even care or even really notice that you don't even know what the bad guy's motivation is that I didn't, I didn't notice that fact until, cause I watched this with my girlfriend and then she's like, Oh, is this a movie? And it's a, like the bad guys are trying to do this thing and she'd confuse it with another movie. But I was like, I don't, maybe I don't know what the bad guys are doing <laughs> actually, but I didn't ever care. Yeah. yeah you, you don't need to know. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like that's another thing with like movies nowadays. Like I feel like if that happened in a movie now, people would have an issue with that. Well, like I feel like modern audiences need everything. Maybe I'm being a little like, uh, like hyperbolic with this, but I feel like a lot of times movies are just spoon fed to us these days. You know, I don't think I disagree with you. Like I, I remember I was watching, um, actually this is about Peaky Blinders two episodes in a row, but someone's like, Oh, I didn't like this about the ending. Cause they didn't explain this. And I was like, they don't need to like do a big exposition dump for every point. Like you can fill in the blanks pretty clearly. And I don't know why we need, stuff spoon fed to us like it is all the time now isn't there though i i will say i think it happens maybe more than we're giving it credit for right now because isn't there like an actual term for that it's called a MacGuffin. uh i think so i think you're right like yeah. like the the briefcase what's in the briefcase in in pulp uh, fiction, pulp fiction yeah. like that's a MacGuffin. like we just you, you don't know you're not supposed to know it doesn't matter like it's just but whatever you want it to be kind of a thing. I think maybe the difference between this and that is like everybody and their mother has an opinion on what is in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. And That's true. Everybody finishes the movie and thinks what was in the briefcase. That's I true. I have no opinion. Well, well, Scott's the only one, uh, but not, <laughs> because he knows what it is. It was obviously yeah. predictable to him through yeah. earlier. <laughs> but, I, don't know, I, I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. But like, I feel like most, most people would have finished this movie and not even thought about the fact that, Oh, I don't, I don't know what they were doing. I don't really care. You know, like I don't think most people would have even had that thought, you know, I, I'm curious, Scott, what were the aspects of this movie that you did enjoy? Well, I mentioned the cinematography I thought was good. Um, and I do like just the, the, the whole plot I think is a fun idea. Like this guy who just gets mistaken. The one turn that I didn't see coming was that, uh, Kaplan wasn't a real person. I Mm. thought he was perhaps someone who looked like him or something like that. Um, but that was like the only, I was like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought the acting was really good. Um, I think the the score was good. I, I just it just felt a little long to me. Did uh, something else that caught me off guard the first time I watched it that I'm remembering now is like when we find out also that this guy, which was he, the I forget the bad guy's actual name, but he was posing as the UN delegate in his house, and then like I didn't realize that that was like when the other guy came out of the UN, like the actual delegate. I was like, that's not the guy what's going yeah. on. Like I, that really caught me off guard mm. as well. Like I thought he was just like a corrupt UN delegate. Oh yeah. 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 No, not me too. Lying entirely. And they just found out that they were just like using his house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. That totally caught me off guard and it shouldn't have because like already we've met the Mrs. Townsend and you're like, okay, well like maybe she's a paid actor or something, 
and so I shouldn't have been caught off guard like in hindsight, but I was so caught off guard by it. And I think it's, it's Hitchcock's uh, like really maybe masterful way of, like you said, Jake, the misdirect. Like, I, I just think he does such a good job of that, that every time he misdirects you and then reveals something, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. And, and I feel like I'm usually okay at catching a misdirect, but I feel like I'm almost always guessing when I watch a movie like this. And, and maybe for me in this sense, and maybe for most viewers, I don't know, maybe like legitimately not making fun, but with the exception of Scott, I think I was so invested in the story that even though I knew it was a mystery, I was still trying to like, I was so invested in the story that at any moment, whatever was being revealed to me in that moment was just canon because I was so invested uh-huh. that like when a misdirect came, I, I wasn't looking for it because even yeah. though I know it's a mystery, I don't care about this movie because it's a mystery. I care about this movie because of the story. I, I'm with you. I was like at no point really analyzing this movie and analyzing like the structure of it or anything. Like I felt like I was on the same playing field as Thornhill the entire movie. Mm. No, I came into it thinking about Vertigo. Like, okay. and like there was like twists and stuff and I figured it was going to be like similar. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You, gotcha. you might benefit from having limited Hitchcock experience then. Cause I don't think that's like, I don't think he's like the twist guy, you know? Uh, well, I think he has like, that was the only other thing I've seen of his. Is I mean, all three movies have, have, has, have had twists at this point. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I oh think, yeah. And psycho. I think, well, I, I, I read, uh, something about this movie from a, from a film critic that talked about how Hitchcock's and, and my filmography or my exposure to his filmography is limited to this and the birds like all the things that we've seen for this Uh podcast and the birds. And so admittedly limited, but taking this like critics word for granted, Hitchcock was kind of known for doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like there's always a blonde leading lady. There's always Uh like, you know, like just like kind of the same thing over and over. Is it always a young blonde that falls in love with a way older dude? Yeah, it's always that. I think it's 20 year difference. We talked about it. That's just old movies in Casablanca, but I think that's old movies. That was the hardest, like the most unbelievable part to me is that she like instantly falls in love with like super old, not attractive. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's just something where like, we're just supposed to believe that Cary Grant is her age, you know? And we just, are we, I, that's my he, impression. He is supposed movies. to be 26 in that movie because she said she's 26. Maybe unless he's she was to be lying. Older. Maybe he's supposed to be older, but like I feel like but that that's the conceit. <laughs> he looks at least 25 years older than her. And I think he I think he's like a solid 20 years older than she is, but I feel like it happens so commonly. Yeah. Maybe maybe there are like oh yeah, this is the age gap and deal with it. But I think that was the most believable because when it when, when we find out that she's bad and then also an agent, it's like, "Oh, no, she was just like faking her feelings." But it's just like, "No." She she liked him. Uh-huh. Like, oh, why? Right? She was actually thirty five in real life, by the way, when this recorded. So she still looked a lot younger than him. One of the uh, one of the things that I want to bring up about this that I think kind of ties back to Scott, something you you shared that you knew right away that Eve Kendall was going to be like some form of double agent. Um, one of the things that I noticed about this, and it could just be like the train like thing, maybe. But uh, it became so obvious to me that this was Vesper Lind in Casino Royale. Mm. Sorry, I haven't seen Casino Royale. Uh, 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 
fair for have, have for you this, seen but Casino Scott Royale? Has. Scott? I know Scott huh? has. Scott just was saying Casino no Royale. words, yeah. so I figured somebody had to say something. Well, it's <laughs> another leading female character that plays both sides, but also was like the first Bond girl, right? To like kind of break the convention and to actually be like a very like not only important character. Um, but a very like dynamic character that was the, that ultimately ended up being the double agent. And so I think I saw the double agent thing coming because I like immediately tied her to Vesper Lind from mm. Casino Royale. And like, it just gave that, like, I think immediately for me, it was like, she helped him and I'm like, okay, immediately she has vested interest. Why? Hmm. Like, cause you don't just you randomly just help trust running away from cops. But what about a hot person running away from cops? A cause hot, that's a the, hot tw- person who's 20 years older than me. Gary well, Grant, Grant's a heartthrob man. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, that was a, maybe a little bit more uh spicy of a love affair. The, no. the thing that kind of caught me, like the reason why her double agent thing caught me off guard was because like, she just kind of like brought him in unprompted and then like sent a note like, Oh, what do I do with him? Like if, so in my head, I was like, well, if she wasn't like, working for him, then she just would never mention this. And that was, I think why her like being the good guy kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Cause like, why is she just putting herself in a weird, like dangerous position almost and where he thinks that he's Kaplan and then saying, Hey, I'm, I'm hanging out with Kaplan, you know? Scott, right. yeah. Scott reaction. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I feel like she had the directive from the beginning to, to do that. So that never even crossed my mind. I don't think she did have the directive for, I think she used her judgment on that, but I don't think she had any contact with them. Cause like, I think they didn't have cell phones or whatever. It's probably hard for her, harder for her to get in contact with them until like they had like a really pre, like a prearranged appointment. But then how did they even know who him was? <laughs> what do you mean? Who him? The note says, what should I do with him? Oh, well she sent that to the bad guy, but how does he know who him is? Because they've already talked about it. You think that the bad guy was like, he's going to get on this train. I know you're going to get on the same train. Seduce him. Well, weren't they, we saw him giving her orders in the phone booth right before then, right? That was, right was oh, that was, was after. after the oh, they bump right. into each other on the train, but like, I don't think anybody knew he was going to get on that train necessarily. Like he was following Kaplan and they were following Kaplan and Kaplan didn't exist. So like, it makes sense that they gotcha. coincidentally ran into each other. But I don't think that well, they knew that. Maybe I missed something a little bit because the, the tricky thing is we have like three adverse actors at work. So we have uh, we have Thornhill that's trying to discover everything. But then we have like the CIA. We'll call them the CIA. They never call them themselves that. Then the Russians and then the police because Thornhill is continually like doing stupid things like to try and discover and then ends up getting in the news and getting like, you know, like the drunk driving thing that he just basically skips bail on the and murder like, of the UN uh-huh. ambassador. Yeah. 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 So anyway, like all that is to say, like, he, like I don't know who was after him on the train. Was it the cops? Was it the Russians or was it the CIA? But I think also- it was everybody, but I don't think that anybody knew he was going to be there except the cops, but that was only right before the train but started moving. The bad guys are trying to get Kaplan and they think he is Kaplan. But they think Kaplan's in uh, in Illinois already. They don't right. think that because they just talked to him on the, the phone in the, the lobby of the uh, hotel that they were at. Or they had just seen him at the murder scene of the... 
Of the UN guy. But I thought it was the cops that were chasing him on the train, not the Russians. The cops the were chasing him onto the train. Right. But he was still going that way because he wanted to go to Chicago. Yeah, no. Because he's chasing yeah. down Kaplan the same as they are. Sure. Yeah, but so they, they think were, he is Kaplan. So like, they, <laughs> yeah. it would make sense that they would think he would be around. Maybe it wasn't, hey, get with him tonight. Maybe it was once we get to Chicago, get with him. Bro, I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored of this. All right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. It was it was fun. It was what do you fun want to movie? About? Uh, not that. Okay. <laughs> what, are, what are you doing You later? can't just interrupt <laughs> and say I'm bored and then not We've been something talking new. about that for a long time. It, yeah, but like probably how like, like five minutes. Probably how, that too how, long? Like, <laughs> like That's good. a long time. If I'm listening to a podcast and it's like five minutes of just how back about, and forth. How, like, about, how about instead would have been maybe just steering us in a different direction? Yeah, exactly. Jump in with like, oh, hey, what about this? I do you have know? a question for Jake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie was fun. Yeah. I thought this movie was a lot of fun. Psycho and Vertigo were kind of dark, kind of okay. gross, right? Yeah. They were so, gross? A little bit. I mean, Psycho for Psycho sure. Psycho Psycho for sure. And then Vertigo, he like- Vertigo is like the weird, like, I don't know. Like he wants her to pretend to be pretend the Pretend to be the deadly. And then yeah. have sex like with necrophilia her. necrophilia type and stuff. And then he also, a little gross. Yeah. Do you, not, do you not find that gross? Remember that. <laughs> yeah. That's a big part of the movie. He wanted her to pretend to be a dead lady? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he fell in love with her when he thought that she was that guy's wife, but she was really an actress that he paid to pretend oh, to be his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, But yeah. he fell in love with that character, not the real woman. Sorry. To, to I me, forgot the plot of her. To me, that's kind of gross. It's gross to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott just if, forgot. <laughs> if I really liked this North by like, if I really like this Hitchcock type movie, what else would I like? Have you seen any, anything else that's more in this vein? Let me, I don't think I have anything off the top of my head. Have you right seen now. young Frankenstein? Oh, is that Hitchcock? That's yeah, also yeah. Hitchcock. Hitchcock very... and Mel Brooks are the same person. They just have different like stage names. Wow, did that, that's did... wild that I never knew that after three Hitchcock movies. Yeah. Do you know what I think is maybe a more fun Hitchcock movie? I mean, it's still about like a murder, uh, but is uh, Dial M for Murder. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Which I think is very good. And it's one of his, I mean, newer is not maybe the right word, but like later films. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very good, even though like in like to kind of like underscore what I was talking about, where I think he's like a great storyteller. That movie takes place. And I think basically just one room well, and it doesn't really matter to me. Like, cause I'm just so interested in what's going on. Well, that's so funny because like, apparently like I've, I've learned through doing a little bit of reading and research after watching this movie that this is very unique from Hitchcock in that most of his stories take place in just a couple of scenes. And uh -huh. when you think about vertigo and, and especially psycho, you can, you can see that for yourself. Very play like to your point about Casablanca. But this was so sprawling and he had never really done anything like that before. And nobody had really done anything like that before. Yeah. Mm. And that's why I think I was struggling to come up with a good example because like this has like, like I, I know it's like a conspiracy, but almost it's like a fun adventure for us as well. And I don't, I don't think we get that in another Hitchcock kind of movie, but so this is a little more unique for Hitchcock. I would, I think I would say so. Um, okay. But I think you might like other Hitchcock movies. Uh, I didn't know anything about Dial M for Murder, so that sounds good. I, I'm excited to check that out. Uh, I've wanted to watch, uh, uh, what is that movie? Rear Window? I have never seen Rear Window. Oh, really? I, I would like to watch Rear Window. I've heard good things about that movie. I've heard that that one's very critically acclaimed. And it sounds like that takes place in like one guy's room as well. I think it's yeah. a cripple, right? That 
It, and, James Stewart is a like a, a cripple guy who like is observing people from his house. Yeah. Which by the speaking of James Stewart, a funny bit of trivia. So the the three Hitchcock movies we've done have come out three years in a row. So it was Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho. So while he was working on North by North, sorry, while he was working on Vertigo with James Stewart, uh, Hitchcock was describing the plot for North by Northwest. And then James Stewart thought that he was the one Hitchcock had in mind to play Roger Thornhill, but Hitchcock wanted Cary Grant. Okay. And so he thought it would be too awkward at this point because James Stewart had his heart so set on it. And he thought it'd be too awkward to like say no, that you, that's not who I wanted, that he just waited until uh, James Stewart was like in the middle of shooting another movie and said, hey, do you want to be in this movie? <laughs> really? So he had to say no. <laughs> Which I think is pretty funny. Hitchcock uh, is funny. He, he was a funny guy, it sounds like. Yeah. Bad guy. Right. <laughs> funny guy, though. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Where does this rank for you in terms of Hitchcock movies? In terms of like your... I, I think... One or two, like, honestly, like I thought I would like Vertigo better, but then we we're talking about this movie. And honestly, I might like it better than Vertigo after this conversation. Like, I think yeah, it, it's up there. I, I like it a lot. And I, I, I don't, I don't have any complaints about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't think of one, one thing I think I would want to change. Gotcha. So I guess that makes it a 10, you know, like a perfect movie. Why? Because like, I can't, I can't think of anything I want different. You know, or I can't think oh, of any, yeah, I can't yeah, think of any I part. I can't think of it's any perfect. part where I was bored. I can't think of any part I would have changed. You wouldn't change anything. You didn't feel like there was uh, any flaw in the movie. Yeah, no, just just five seconds that got cut. Yeah, just those five. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of funny though. Like thinking about what to cut and like thinking about the production of this. This was actually one of the very first films. Um, one of not not the first, but one of the very first films to ever be completely storyboarded. Really? Uh, yeah. So Alfred Hitchcock had drawn out had drawn out every single shot that he wanted leading into the production of this film. And so uh, this is in so many ways, like the birth of like premeditation for films. Uh, And uh, I just think, you know, I agree with Hitchcock. Like he, not only did he end up with a result that he could only cut five seconds out of, but I think that came from him going into the project with everything being perfectly and I guess when you're already like you already have this reputation for making these great stories and I guess you're not even storyboarding it, then what can you do when right when you're coming in so prepared ahead of time? Yeah. And I think to go back on what I said, the only reason I wouldn't give this a 10, like I, I feel like 10 is a little bit weird because like I feel like I could watch a movie, not change a thing. But there's like I feel like there's just some sort of wow factor that like is hard because like I think about the only other 10 I gave out, which was Inglorious Bastards. And this this is this is a great movie. That's a great movie. But there was there was some sort of intangible thing about sure. that that I think I would still want to watch Inglorious Bastards over this. But it's not like I wouldn't I wouldn't complain, you know. So I, I yeah, we'll see we'll see where I land when it comes time to rate it. For me, a ten is like a movie that I I think is perfect. That I wouldn't change a single thing about. That I'm also like stoked on every single time I watch it and feel like I could rewatch it almost at any point. And there's been movies that I think are like close to perfect or perfect that I still don't feel that way about. You Interesting. Know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I kind of how I feel about this. Like, that's how I, I feel about Independence Day. Yeah. <laughs> what about knew Independence when Day? You <laughs> laughed twelve seconds ago. I knew. What about Independence Day Two Resurgence? But you no, didn't even give Independence Day a ten. No, I didn't. That's not how I define perfect. How do you define perfect? Perfect. 
<laughs> but okay, so what is perfect? Dick perfect for? would be not only is it something that I think nothing should be changed, but everyone thinks nothing should be changed. That's that doesn't exist. Exactly. That's, That's why Scott I don't rate things. A doesn't 10. rate a ten. I that answer made me upset a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why. Sorry, when you say perfect, I just thought you meant perfect. I, I, I don't kinda, know why you let yourself go down this road. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and to your point, like I, in fairness, I I think I, I understand where Scott's coming from a little bit. I don't know that I agree with it, but I see his point of view. Yeah. Where, I like, think it's a lot less fun way to like <laughs> engage with movies and talk about movies. I think if we've learned anything over the last couple of weeks, it's that Scott leads a very disappointing <laughs> life. <laughs> I just see things coming. It's yeah. just, you know, like he's rarely surprised or excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Well, I mean, hey, we reached uh, over 100 episodes and Scott didn't see that coming. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man. Well, hey, uh, what do you guys think? Any other uh, any other like favorite parts that we haven't gotten to bring up yet or uh, fun things that, that you just enjoyed or, or would, hated or, or didn't work for you? Would you remake this or would you let it be perfect in its time? I don't think I would make the movie again. And I, I don't think it could be made today. I I would not remake it again. I would I would let it be perfect in its time. However, I feel like I've gotten to see it remade in pieces. And so if if it's the sum it's of its sure parts, for sure, influential movie. Yeah, if it's yeah. the sum of its parts, I've seen it remade and could probably stitch together like a pretty impressive uh, supercut of like thirty movies that just equal this movie. I feel like in, and I, I don't know if this is accurate, but thinking about remaking this movie, I don't feel like you could make like the, the, like the New York advertising man and not have him feel a little bit slimy today. Like, sure. I, I feel like if you made this movie today, Thornhill would feel a little slimy. And well, I wouldn't be as into him. If you I were going to felt that way about him in this movie, if you were going to make it today, he would probably have to be like Kevin James. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that like feels like a wild Paul Blart Malka. Like that's the that's the everyman today that that let's just make another Perry Grant represented. Like I feel like, like I a, could see like a a little bit like maybe Tom Hanks ten years ago. No, I, I'm not saying. By the way, I want to remake this movie with Tom, <laughs> with, Kevin <James. laughs> with Kevin James. I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you were gonna to Jake's point, like it would have to be some sort of other everyman that like that was the Cary Grant every man of and all right and aside from apparently charging 15 cents per autograph uh I think <laughs> Cary Grant was kind of a kind of, I don't know I, I this is completely anecdotal but my my grandfather met Cary Grant and apparently said he was like just a really chill dude yeah you know he saw him at a restaurant and just talked to him for a little bit he seems like a really chill dude yeah so Zach you would remake it with Tom Hanks or I'm sorry not Tom Hanks Tom Cruise no, and I did say Tom Hanks. Oh, you did. But say no, Tom I didn't mean to say like, I guess when I thought of uh, like the everyday man, like I feel like Tom Hanks for a long time was that. Yeah, totally. In a not like bumbling comedic way that like Kevin James is. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Because right. like, like he's kind of bumbling Thornhill is, but like he's not, a, he's not an idiot. He's just an ordinary guy that gets in way over his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe like if, George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. If Kevin James is on Mount Rushmore saving the hot blonde girl, like, it, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, itch. It's like, itch. Um, 
All right, so I know you guys wouldn't remake it if you had the choice. If it was being remade okay. and if you had, had to be to. the casting director, yeah. okay. who would you have in the leading two roles? Uh, I don't I don't know. I guess it's, I would... Okay, so I guess I would do Tom Hanks, I guess. Because I feel like if I did Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, I don't feel like I could buy that he won't just take over the situation and like go badass and you know overpower the the bad guys i feel like i could see tom hanks in this kind of role i don't think tom hanks is like as cool and suave i mean i didn't necessarily think cary grant was that either i think that was yeah i didn't think that yeah he seemed kind of like a bumbling idiot to me I'll just stick with Tom Hanks, and then I would do Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. Mm. As, Who's that? Um, Let me Google that real she's quick. She's in the Mission Impossible movies. She okay. was also in Dune. Um, she's I, the mom in Dune. I just think of, like, I think she plays a smart, capable female character really well, and so that's who I think of. Okay, yeah, I do know who this is, and I think that that's a good take. I like that a lot. I'm, I'm actually going to go George Clooney opposite Halle Berry. I could definitely see George Clooney. Yeah, I think George Clooney might be better than Tom Hanks to me. I, I like George Clooney. I would sign off on that. Yeah, that that of those of of the combination, that's that's my like uh, must have, I guess. Scott, Jay, what about you? Did Jake go? I said I don't know, but I think I did. I think I agree with the. I think George Clooney might be able to do not George Clooney now because he's kind of an no, old no, man, no, no, yeah, yeah. But you know, George Clooney in his prime. George Clooney like during Up in the Air. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to disparage George Clooney. I haven't seen a recent picture of him, but I assume he's still more handsome than I am. Yes. Uh, so he most certainly like, is. I'm not trying to say that. All of us. More yeah. handsome than all of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I would take a page from Crazy Stupid Love and lean into the comedy of it, and I would do Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Okay. All right. I think, they, I think it would be fun. That's a take. Talking about uh, uh, Ryan Gosling, They do though, have great chemistry together, on-screen chemistry. Yeah. He uh, talking about Ryan Gosling though. If I had to pick somebody to be a Ken doll and somebody to be a Barbie doll, I would probably pick Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. So I think that's like <laughs> solid. Like they're they're like two like they almost look too perfect, both of them. So I could see that. I think that's good. I thought it was good casting. Yeah. Well, what do you guys say we put this one in the bag? Oh, one one last thing that I wanted to tell you guys. It was something that I like. I thought I noticed, but I let it go. And then I went back and, and saw something on YouTube that I realized I did notice it in the scene where she shoots, uh, Thornhill where Eva, uh, Eve shoots Thornhill, uh, in the background, right behind her, you can see a little kid cover his ears right before she pulls the trigger. Oh, and so it was like she pulls out the gun and he puts his fingers in his ears and I was like, is he about to get and they got shot and I was like, maybe I didn't see that, but I did see that. That's funny. I, that That's something that I feel like I would have expected Hitchcock to notice and like, right, off. right. Like why he didn't yeah. use a different cut. Also, I think it's really interesting. Sorry, one more thing talking about Hitchcock. And we might have talked about this on another one, but like his directing style sounds very interesting to me where like somebody, one of the actors was like, hey, why aren't you like giving me direction? You're talking to everybody else. And he said, well, you're just not doing anything wrong. So if I'm not talking to you, then just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Which I think is very interesting. I, I saw an interview where he had like talked about that, told that story. 
uh, and he said, because he was a very young actor at the time, and, and he said he still felt very left out, though. <laughs> that's, that's sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, what do you guys say we put this one in the book? Scott, are you ready? Let's do it. Jake, you're up first. I am going to go ahead and give this, uh, I'm going to give it a, a 9.5 dollars. That's actually what I was going to give. It was dollars, dollars in an auction. <laughs> I was really hoping someone would say, surely you mean 900. <laughs> and then we went for it. <clears throat> I'm going to give this 8.1, um, blanks fired out of a gun. Zach. I'll give it 8.7. Um, really cheap. DUIs. Tyler. Oh, dang. You really stole mine oh, on that oh, one. <laughs> sorry. That's a double steal. I know. I know. Uh, give me one second to come up with a denominator. I'm going to give this actually 9.9. Wow. Uh, perfectly shot airplane sequences. Wow. That's high. That's really high. I will take that. All right. This comes out to, you're kind of digging your own grave a little bit. Cause here's the thing. I want to win, but not at the expense of art. I I appreciate your integrity and I want you to know that I feel the same way. I would love though, if you just sang this movie's praises and And then then in order to win, you're just like, it's a five, it's a 5.1 for me. Yeah. I'm going to give it a solid one. (laughs) Our first one ever. Uh, We've rated things in the ones before. But not, not a one flat. Not individually, but not as a combined. Yeah, but I not think a we, one flat. I think, I think the lowest one point two to. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think we yeah. have. I don't think we have a one flat anywhere. Um, this comes out to an eighty nine percent. Once again, the other guys gave this a ninety seven percent, and IMDb gave it eight point three. So we're right in between them. This comes out to ranked number eleven out of one hundred and two. <sighs> Would have liked it. Should give me a nine point seven. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think yeah. that's, I, I think it's a, I, I would personally love to see this rated higher as well, but uh, I think that's a perfectly fair. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. In our, in our, not quite in our top 10, but definitely up there. Almost there. Yeah. Well, uh, what are we doing next week, Scott? Next week, we are visiting our 16th president of the United States of America and watching Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't the 16th president? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Daniel Day-Lewis was the that 16th really president. really kind of recontextualizes that whole movie for me. Dude, I think this episode is just going to be effed up.